Hi, I'm Michael O'Connell, host of the It's All Journalism podcast. For more than a decade, It's All Journalism has produced a weekly podcast featuring interviews with working journalists, educators, and media thought leaders, all discussing the ever-changing media landscape. We've covered a wide range of topics such as solutions journalism, mental health in the newsroom, local news startups, investigative reporting, online harassment, and new technology. Over the years, It's All Journalism partnerships have played important roles in expanding our reach and ensuring that we are able to continue producing our weekly podcast series. We are currently seeking new partners to help us keep this podcast going. If you believe in It's All Journalism's mission, if you want to see these conversations continue, go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the partnerships link and find out how we can share your company or organization's good work with a wider audience. Maybe we can produce a podcast series for you or host your next webinar. The It's All Journalism team is ready to spotlight your organization's good work and keep these important conversations going. Go to itsalljournalism.com, click on the partnerships link, and let's collaborate. And now, here's our latest episode. There are other simpler things that you can do, whether you are making a long-form documentary or whether you're doing a daily news hit, where you can be more mindful of better practices of working with communities that are not your own. Parachute journalists are the worst. They're dropped into a community they know nothing about, extract just enough information to check the boxes on their assignment, and then they move on, leaving with no understanding of the story's true impact on the community. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. In September, the Global Reporting Center at the University of British Columbia School of Journalism, Writing, and Media Funding published the Empowerment Journalism Media Guide, the aim of which is to help journalists, authors, and other storytellers interested in learning more about best practices for working with and covering their communities. They call this empowerment journalism. Andy Crossan co-authored the guide with Brittany Dennison, and Andrew is here to break down the guide for us and explain what empowerment journalism is. Andy, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me, too. I, I had a chance to look through the guide. You know, there's a lot of great information in here. But before we get into that, I, I do like finding a little bit about my guests. Tell me about your journalist journey. How did you, you know, get interested in journalism and end up at the Global Reporting Center? Oh, my goodness. How much time do you have? It's a long and winding road, Michael. <laughs> the headlines. So I started in journalism, honestly, when I was about 16 or 17. I got into doing community television. So I was hosting, this is hilarious, I, I wonder now what sense they had to let me do this, but I was about 18 and they let me host a live current affairs program once a week on community television. My joke is that, thank heavens that journalism worked out because I'm not really qualified to do anything else. So yeah, my entire career I have been interested and fascinated by people, by hearing their stories, and I learned very early in my life that the best path for me to be able to do that was to become a journalist because the opportunity to be able to ask people about their lives and their experiences and to be able to share those stories has been the center of my professional life for a very long time. So I worked in television for many years. I worked at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation here in Vancouver and then decided that I wanted to focus on global journalism. So I moved to London and during my time there I worked at NBC News, I worked at the Associated Press and I ended up landing with the BBC World Service and I was at the BBC for about 15 years. 
and I was transferred with a program called PRX is the World, which is a global news program. It airs five days a week across the U.S. on public radio stations. So eventually, over time, I became the executive producer of the program. And then I was part of what I think was they referred to as the great resignation during COVID. Uh-huh. I decided that I wanted to move home. So Vancouver is home to me. My family is here. I have extended family. I'm a member of the tsleil Nation. My community is here. So I made this decision that I wanted to be closer to my community, closer to my family, and reconnect with my Vancouver life and my can- life in Canada. So my husband and I, we packed up a dog, a cat, put them in the back of a Kia, and drove from Boston to Vancouver during the pandemic. It worked out very well. And when I got here, I had the opportunity to connect with Peter Klein, who is the person who started the Global Reporting Center. And he, I joke that we're recovering news producers, where he was working for CBS 60 Minutes and he'd worked for the New York Times. And he had this incredible publications and incredible awards. And he'd done a a lot of global journalism. And we had a nice conversation on the phone for a very long time around our experiences doing global news and how some of the practices around global reporting We reflect now on our professional lives and think, wow, if I could do things differently or how could I create a way of of doing reporting differently that doesn't feel so extractive. So we had a great conversation about that and long story, long story long, I ended up at the Global Reporting Center. Peter is a professor here. He has taken uh, a leave of absence to go to work at NBC News, heading up their investigative unit for the next year. And I am the executive director of the Global Reporting Center now. So a good circumstances of connecting with somebody who is really like-minded, who cares deeply about journalism, who has been in the field a lot and seen the room for improvement that we have as a profession. Yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation. We've had several guests on in the last six months or so that have sort of addressed this issue from different directions. We had a guest on who was talking about showing up to cover something or just taking somebody's picture without permission, covering an event. You know, the newspaper or the um, news outlet and the photographer may, you know, they're going to benefit from that photo, but maybe it brings bad things to the person who's actually in it. So, you know, what responsibility do you have? So that's just one example. So let's talk about empowerment journalism. What is it? What is it you're trying to accomplish? Well, I'll say this. Empowerment journalism is the phrase that we use for this. And it was a term that was coined, again, by Peter Klein and Brittany Dennison as attached to a project that they produced a few years ago called Turning Points. And Turning Points is this really, really special, special project because it was focused on how to work in collaboration, fully in collaboration with an Indigenous community, as opposed to being as, you know, there's a really, really great scholar around around this, uh, Duncan McHugh, who's an incredible journalist and also teaches at Carleton University. And he's the one who coined the phrase talking about whether are you a storyteller or are you a story taker. And this is something that really resonated. And it was something that they considered when they started doing this project called Turning Points um, around community-based approach to working with folks who had drug and alcohol problems. And in the course of making this series of short films that aired on PBS NewsHour last year, 
they worked so closely with the storytellers where they would actually help, they helped to craft these documentaries. They would give guidance and input around what parts of their story they wanted to share. They were able to see rough edits of the, of the documentaries. So they were really co-collaborators and co-producers. So one way of looking at empowerment journalism is that you can do it to this really, really high level of, of inclusion and thinking about how you're representing communities and how, how they are able to represent themselves. But the reason that we made the guide was because I come from a daily news environment. I come from a, a world where you have to have a story produced by three o'clock in the afternoon every afternoon or you're going to have dead air. So we wanted to create a guide with the idea of how do we take this so that here's one way of doing it where you can be incredibly collaborative and inclusive, but there are different ways of doing it too. There are other simpler things that you can do whether you are making a long-form documentary or whether you're doing a daily news hit, where you can be more mindful of better practices of working with communities that are not your own. So that's where it came from. It came from this idea of, again, a term we use, but you could refer, refer to it as community-engaged reporting. You know, there are other ways that people maybe describe it, but for us, empowerment was the term that worked best. And actually, as you're talking of that, and this is me not doing my reason, doing my homework, I did speak to Brittany Dennison about this very subject back in 2021. And I remember it as being a really interesting conversation, especially this idea of helping Indigenous people tell their story, helping people who are maybe had addiction, where the reporter's more of an enabler, enabling that person to tell their story, as opposed to going there with you know, the tools of a journalist and then processing it through. It's almost sort of an extreme, like going to the extreme of this idea of journalists stop being broadcasters, that we're telling people that, you know, maybe it's better for us, especially in covering, you know, try to establish a, a rapport with a particular community of giving them space to tell their story, I guess. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, the one thing that we're re we were really aware of in terms of turning points is that it was made over a number of years. So this was a lot of time, a lot of resources, the opportunity to go back and forth to Yellowknife, which is where the short films were produced. It was a community in Yellowknife. So we know what went into making turning points, and we know that that's not possible all the time for every newsroom or filmmaker or documentary maker or editor. So we wanted to figure out a way to say, how is this scalable? How could you consider it if you're a local reporter on a tight deadline? What are different ways that you can consider what could reciprocity look like? What could crediting look like? Some of the things we talk about in the guide is don't just show up when you want something. So, which I know... I used to call that cultivating sources. Yes, I know, I know. Which in some ways, again, in a, in a very fast news environment, that is the hope. And it's, again, it's what we aspire to do. It's what we go into journalism with the idea that we're actually going to cultivate sources and talk to people and, and develop relationships. But... Again, we all get to at various points where we're like, oh, well, we got to get where we got to get at three o'clock or whenever we go on air. But it's the idea of you may have a daily deadline and you want to make sure you hit that daily deadline and you connect with a community member and you, you talk to them and, you, and the story airs. 
So then thinking about, okay, so what can I do now again? So I don't just call you when I want things. Are there community meetings? Are there meetings at City Hall? Are there events that are happening that I can attend to understand more about your community? Can I make sure that the story is shared with you? Because that's the other thing too, is that in our world of tomorrow, there could be a completely different story on a completely different subject that you may be chasing or you may be working on. So have you followed up with the people that you talked to yesterday? Because I think the other thing that we discovered in some of the conversations that we have with with people who participate in these conversations, the storytellers, is that quite often, particularly in global reporting, we end up in a place where we sort of go somewhere, we take up a ton of somebody's time, and then we get on a plane and we go home, and they could be in a place of thinking, well, did that ever even air anywhere? Like, did it, did that story run? Because they may not know that the time that they spent was of value or, because again, how are you right. valuing it if you're not even sharing it with the people who are in the community who are affected by whatever story it is you're covering? Yeah, quite often you go out to cover something and the interview becomes more sort of transactional that they're there to say something, or, you know, a politician comes about to cut a ribbon or whatever. They want to do this. They want to get this message out. And you just go show up and take a few pictures and you go away. There's real no investment. You know, maybe it's the opening of a like a food bank or something. And you just take a picture, you get a quote from a, a politician and, and then go home and just write that up. You don't think about, you know, what's the bigger story here? How is it helping people? And maybe what would be good is good for the readers is to maybe hear the voice of one of the people this is going to affect. I want to say almost it's like, well, you got to slow down. And it is to a degree, but is there a way for you to sort of incorporate some of these best practices in, in your daily uh, grind to get to that deadline? I hope so. I mean, that is definitely the goal. We say that it is more of a buffet as opposed to a set course meal. The idea being that based on your deadline, based on your circumstances, the kind of newsroom you're working on, whether it's global or, lo global or local, it's long form or it's breaking news, that there are parts of this that you can consider. And one of the first things we actually suggest is who is the story for? Why are you telling this story? And kind of also kind of thinking about your own positionality, you know, like, why are you doing this story? How are you able to do you have connections with this community? Do you have a relationship? Do you have any trust built? Because the other part of it that we know is that quite often, for good or for bad, when a journalist calls, there's a level of apprehension or skepticism about what we want and, and that feeling of, okay, well, this is going to be very transactional. So it's going into it where like before you make that call think about what's my connection to this community do i have any is there somebody else in this newsroom or who i work with who may have some connection with the community who might actually be able to be be able to help me to build that trust build relationship because the reality is i mean even living in vancouver i think about it where there are so many communities in vancouver that i have almost no connectivity to so before I would consider reporting in a community that I don't have that connection to, think about, is there one more phone call I could make? Is there somebody else that I know who works in this community or is a reporter who focuses on this type of work? So I think it's just taking, like, can you take an extra five minutes 
before you jump in the deep end of the pool and just start making calls and, you know, crashing on the phones to think about, again, are there already people who are doing this work? Are there already reporters? Is there a reporter in your newsroom who has an area of expertise? So how can you go into this in a way that is mindful and, again, less extractive? Like, just take that moment to think of why would this community talk to you? Why would these people talk to you? And all we can do as journalists is build our relationship of trust and coming into it from a place of openness and with the desire to be as accurate as we possibly can be. But to do that, you know, we have to have folks who are willing to talk to us. And I think just being a little bit more mindful ahead of the reporting is one way that even whether, again, if you're on breaking news or you're long form that you can consider. And if you think you're going to be staying in that community for any period of time, maybe even if you don't, you should just do it. But the benefit of that is when you go out and you meet these people and build a relationship with them, then they're going to give you stories that you didn't know about. They're going to give you, point you to people to talk to that you don't know. So it's just good a good strategy for somebody to build their sources and sort of make it easier for them in the future. You know, in the same sort of space as newsrooms who are trying to be more equitable, inclusive, try to have a more diverse audience and rather than just being a helicopter reporter but actually investing in the future can you give an example of something that somebody might be able to do in their their day-to-day well i can imagine even in terms of the the stories that maybe a local reporter or a national reporter could potentially be tackling right now is you know imagine you're in a situation where you are asked to connect with local community members around what's happening in Gaza. So say you are in a place where you may have no connection with the Jewish community, you may not have connection with synagogues, with with local leaders, you may not have any connection with Palestinian community, you may not know any of the folks who are maybe are organizing around support for what's happening to the Palestinians. So say you're in this position. So, okay, how can I move forward knowing that In terms of my positionality, I have no connection to these communities. How can I do this in a way that I can think about an empowerment approach? And for a local reporter, it could simply be taking that, again, taking that moment, taking a second, considering are there other people in your newsroom who've done this kind of reporting in the past who have connectivity to these communities. So again, you are not just going to be cold calling people who, for obvious reasons, are in a very intense at times maybe in a moment of crisis and trauma around what is happening and how to just again take that moment to think about okay if I don't have connectivity to this story and to the people who are connected to it is there somebody else in the newsroom or somebody else who's a part of the project I'm working on who might be able to help me what kind of guidance can I get what is a good way to think about connecting with community members doing it in a way that is respectful thinking about protocols thinking about sort of cultural sensitivities and we are all as journalists we are forever walking forward into into worlds that we are not a part of communities we are not a part of and hopefully we come at it with a level of curiosity and openness and we consider our own bias and we consider our own framework but we are going forward into communities that are are quite often not our own and to do that I think my best advice is taking the guide and thinking 
are there just parts of this that I could just take five minutes and think about before? And just another thing to add to the list of things to consider when you're reporting on a story like this. Yeah, you just have to take responsibility for yourself. The other side of this is you may be the first journalist that this source has ever spoken to or ever met, and they're going to be wary. So you need to show them that that you as a journalist, but maybe even journalists in a larger sense, other journalists they may end up speaking to, aren't there to trap them or, or to cause them problems, but are actually maybe there to help them in, in some way. So how can people uh, get the book or the guide? Is it something that's on your website? Can they download it? The guide is on our website. So it's just globalreportingcenter.org. And the guide is available on our website. It's also, there's a PDF that you can download as well if you want to have it so that you can just print it off or, or share it in, in that way. We know that it's being shared also through journalism organizations and associations. Right. We've had some really, really good feedback around the guide. And I know that there are journalism associations that have been sharing it. I'm a member of the Indigenous Journalists Association and I know that it's being shared with our membership as well. So hopefully it's getting out there, but it's, yeah, it's available at Global Reporting Center, center spelt the Canadian way, .org, and it's downloadable as a PDF from there. So I would imagine, you know, since this came out of just like sort of ongoing research in the Turning Point program, I would imagine you're going to be updating this as you go forward? Yeah, I mean, we think of it as really a living, breathing document. You know, we never want the cement to <laughs> to harden on this. The idea is that we are going to be iterating and adding. We are continuing to add to the resources section of the guide. But, you know, I mean, really, I hope that there are people who, who are reading it and thinking, oh, yeah, this is kind of similar to the work I'm doing. And that's what we found. I mean, we interviewed 21 people who are filmmakers, you know, documentarians, news leaders, editors, people who were doing this work, they might not have been calling it empowerment journalism, but they might have called it community engagement journalism or other terms for it, but they're really doing this work. And so that was the other part of it too, is we brought together all of these people who were thinking creatively about journalism and how they're practicing it and ways to make it more inclusive. And so that was a really, that was such a great part of it, was realizing that there's all these like-minded people out there who are doing the work and maybe they're doing it and hoping that their newsroom embraces it or maybe they're doing it and thinking, well, I'm making my film this way, maybe other people will. But building a community of folks who might think this is a good path forward for them. Yeah, and you know, I encourage people to go and look for this book and download it. There's really a lot of like really smart stuff in here that I think anybody who is, you know, serious about being a journalist, but also serious about being a responsible journalist and one who can go into other communities and learn things, it's just going to make your reporting so much better. Andy, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been really lovely. It's been a great conversation. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.